Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. Father, we are in eager anticipation as your spirit comes and speaks through your word. Lord, we pray that you would project forward Christ to our thoughts and our imagination and our hearts, Lord. We pray that you would speak directly to us through this text as our brother uh, shares this passage. And Father, we desire to have joy in you. We know that our hearts are only right when our joy is centered on the person of Jesus Christ. And so we pray that you would do that miracle this morning in our hearts and that we would glorify you in it. We pray for anyone that's here who's never experienced the joy of the Lord. We pray that this would be the Sunday that they experience that for the first time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Uh, make me feel like I'm at home. Say praise the Lord. Uh, say hallelujah. Say glory to God. Oh, come on. <laughs> well, this is home. I want to also thank Eric. Um, you know, this has been a um, real difficult year for myself on, on many different levels. And um, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I'm getting emotional already. Um, and um, man, I, I'm not one to I'm not one to make friends easy. You know, I'm, I'm that introvert guy that stays to itself and and whatnot. But I, I thank God for this man of God who has, um, you know, he has chased me, I felt like, you know, and he's he's befriended me and he's been a He's been a source of inspiration, a source of joy through one of the most difficult seasons in my life. So I, I thank God for your pastor. And I, I just encourage you, I, I don't know how often you pray for your pastor, you know. And, and I know, you know, in the, Afri I should stay to my notes, but, you know, in the African-American church, you know, we sometimes tend to, you know, elevate the pastor too high. But, but I'll tell you, there's something about being in that position that requires the prayers of the saints. Amen? Because he's going to experience things and his family will experience things that you will never, ever even know about. And I'll tell you, the victory comes when you are praying for the man of God and his family. Amen? And so I just encourage you to pray for the man of God. Listen, this morning uh, I've been given the assignment to, to speak on joy and all week long, something tragic happened in my family, and, you know, uh, Wednesday I was at a point where I said, man, I'm, I'm just going to tell Eric I can't do it, you know. But I remember before I told Eric I couldn't do something, and Eric didn't accept my, uh, you know, my decline there. So I said, okay, I'm just going to go push through, and we met, and we talked, and, man, he just inspired me. We had such a great time and went back inspired, you know, and just getting to the word was just been real difficult for me because of all that's been going on. But I, I recognize that this topic of joy, I don't know if this message is going to be for any of you. I might as well preach this way, you know, <laughs> because I really feel like God was saying, this is for you. You need to hear this. So there's nothing earth shaking or earth shattering here. I just want to remind you of a few things about joy, things that I felt that God had spoken to me over this week, things that just touched my heart that I really needed to know about joy. Is that all right? OK, you can speak a little bit louder. 
you've been walking through this book of John and you've arrived at this 16th chapter. And in the text this morning, Jesus is concluding his final words of his discourse, this discourse to his uh, disciples. He's, uh, he's about to physically leave them. And he's heading for the cross. And uh, I love the fact that in spite of what awaits Jesus, I mean, he knows that he's getting ready to lay down his life and die. He knows of all that he's about to endure. And yet in spite of all that he's about to endure, he takes the time to encourage and strengthen and give his disciples a reason to rejoice. Man, that's amazing. So I, I want us to begin by looking just at a couple of scriptures because I really want us to see what's happening right here in the text. The disciples were, were looking around at one another uh, and asking, what did he just say? I mean, you know, he says, in, in verse 16, uh, verse, uh, yeah, verse 16, a little while and you will no longer behold me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And some of his disciples therefore said to one another, what is this thing he's telling us? A little while and you will not behold me. And again, a little while and you will not see me because I go to the father. And they were saying, what is this that he says? A little while. We do not know what he's talking about. None of them wanted to ask Jesus to explain himself. Now, I don't know about you, but I can relate to that. I remember there were times in school where the teacher would say something from the head of the class and she would state it or he would state it in such a way that it was like matter of fact. And then I started looking around trying to see if anyone has the big saucer eyes that I have, you know, fear, because I didn't have a clue of what he was talking about. But because I didn't want to look stupid, I didn't raise my hand, I didn't ask questions, I waited for someone else to ask my question. So I, I, I can relate to what, the, what was happening here with the disciples. There were, there, there, uh, 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 I mean, for me, I'm thinking, did I, did I miss something? And I know the disciples are thinking the same way. Did I miss something? Well, the scripture says Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, what in the world do you mean by a little while and you will not see me any longer and again a little while and you will see me, see me? And even his answer sounded more like the Riddler from Batman. You, 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 you know, riddle me this, you know. I mean, their, their, their question was, what do you mean by a little while? That, that's pretty straightforward. How is it that in a little while we won't see you, but in a little while we will see you? Will we see you or won't we see you? I mean, what is it, you know? Well, in fact, th th this was something Jesus had told them before. He said it several times, but let me point out just a, a, a couple of verses. In John 7, 33, Jesus says this, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. He says it there. Again, if you look up, or up a little bit in, in the same chapter, John 16, and he said it in 14, but look in John 16, 4 through 7. He says, but I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. 
I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him, excuse me, to you. This is what he's saying. I didn't tell you earlier because I was with you every day. But I'm telling you now, because I'm going away, I'm going back to glory to be with my father who sent me. And he says, even though I've said to you that I'm going away many times before, none of you dared to ask me where I was going. Instead, the more I talked about going away, Jesus is saying, the sadder you became. And then he says, but nevertheless, or so let me just say it one more again or once again, it's better for you that I leave. Because if I don't, the helper or the counselor, the Holy Spirit won't come. But if I go, I'll send him to you. So in a little while, I will be leaving you. This is. This is going to cause you a lot of sorrow. In fact, you will weep and lament, he says. The combination of these two words would have instantly brought to their mind the idea of death. Loud weeping and lamenting was customary at the funerals. In fact, so customary that they would even hire professional weepers and lamenters in their funeral service. Can you believe having that job? What, what, did, what would your resume look like? You, you know, I mean, in a little while, these very disciples will see Jesus be betrayed by one of their own and then arrested in the garden. In a little while, they will see him illegally charged with blasphemy by the Sanhedrin. In a little while, they will see him judged by Pontius Pilate while the crowd outside shouts crucify him. In a little while, they will witness him being mocked and spit upon and beaten and whipped and nailed to the cross. A little while and you will see me no longer. And it is for this reason that Jesus is preparing his disciples. It, it was not in their, in their theology that the Messiah would die. They had, they had come to deeply love Jesus and had great hopes that he would deliver them from the Romans. His death would mean the loss of their relationship with him and it would mean a loss of hope for the nation. I don't think we can even come close to understanding or even imagining how they must have felt when Christ died. I mean, I, we watched, you know, the, 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 what's the old movie, Mel Gibson, Passion of the Christ. And I remember, you know, so many uh, eyes that were just filled with tears at the sorrow that we felt, just, just that visual of that, of that picture. I, I know we know theology is wrong in some areas. I know that. So don't, don't beat me up. Don't say, Eric, we can't have him back because he mentioned that film. But, 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 but I mean, I'm just the depth, the hurt, the pain, the sorrow as they witness everything that Jesus had gone through. They had been walking with him for a long time, heard him preach the good news of the gospel, 
saw him heal many that were sick, even raise the dead. They participated with him in ministry and fed 5,000 with, 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 with two loaves of bread and, and a few fish. I couldn't imagine their deep sadness, the grief and the fear they must have experienced as they all gathered together behind the locked door in that room, weeping and lamenting over his death. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. Oh, I'm so glad, though, that there's no period at the end of the first a little while. Are Y'all looking at me. Y'all got Bibles, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm so glad there's no period at the end of that first a little while. And again, it says, and again, a little while and you will see me. So you will not see me. I will be killed. I must die. But in a little while, you will see me again. As witnesses to all of the stuff that they saw, these disciples, the scripture says, will weep and they will lament while the religious leaders and the Roman officials and, and, and the undeemed sinners uh, will rejoice at his death. It, it, it can be easy, so easy to become short sighted when we are in the midst of suffering. Somebody can say amen. Am I, am I the only one? Jesus didn't say I will prevent you from suffering. He said, you will suffer. Isn't there some passages that you just wish you could just take out, you know, or that you would just, you know, just omit or walk or, or, or read over? He said, you will suffer. But then he gives them a reason to rejoice in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their grief. He directs them to look beyond the time from when they would not see him to the time when they would rejoice to see him. Oh, that's good news. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. I, I was watching the the road to the Olympics. Which featured how several athletes had trained for these Olympic Games and they filmed one athlete who had just finished his workout in the gym and after he was done he instantly fell to the ground and and he was sweating all over and and a painful grimace came across his face and he he was stretched out on the ground and his body was shaking and I thought why <laughs> what would cause him to endure such tremendous pain on a daily basis for so many years. See, he was looking beyond the pain. He, 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 he was looking to the Olympics. He saw himself winning the event, standing on the podium, the national anthem playing, playing loudly in the background, the American flag being raised on the pole, and a gold medal being hung around his neck. Every single day. He looked beyond the pain and the suffering to his performance during the Olympic Games. The very, listen to this, here's my point. The very, the very thing that caused him so much pain will become the source of much more joy. Oh, that's good news. And I thought, wow, this is what Jesus is doing for us. 
Listen, we don't need to focus on our suffering. It's real. Don't get me wrong. Listen, that, 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 that's only, but that's only for a little while. I, I want you to look beyond your grief. I want you to look to the time when I will rise from the dead and you will see me again. Oh, what a savior. What a Lord. What a timely promise for us today. I needed that this week. I needed something to encourage me to look beyond the, the current hurt and the current pain and the current grief and to be able to look to a time when I know my Savior is going to stand there with me. We live in a time where we are in desperate need of joy. And if we only focus on the here and now, if all we see is the wickedness in our world, the racial tension, political uncertainty, we could easily get stuck in grief and depression. Thank you. I got, I got to do some physical cues here. But, but, but what Jesus said to them specifically can apply in principle to us today. Look at verse 20. Truly I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will, will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Here's the promise. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. What a promise. What a promise of joy. The, the, the psalmist says, sing praises to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his, there's my joy getting ready to leave on, leave me right now. For his anger is but for a moment, two joys, for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Man, listen, covenant grace. My family, because you are my family, I know, man, we, you know, you are, you, we can be so reserved at times in our worship, you know, and, and all of us aren't as cool as me. See, when I'm cool, I, you know, I, I know that, but I'm telling you, when you've gone through something, when God has brought you through, or even let's say you, you've had a privileged life. And yet you're reading scripture and you're reading about this awesome God and all that he's done for you. It is amazing how sometimes we we just we can just sit there and not just shout in, in joy for the Lord. Not not because Ish can sing so well, because he can. Not because any of the the uh, 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 the violinists can play so well, because he does. Right. But because of. I mean, their job is to usher us into the presence of God, where the scripture says there is fullness of joy. Listen, if you don't like being a joyful person, can I say it ebonically? Eric, is all right? You ain't going to like heaven. <laughs> because there is joy in the presence of God. We're going to be in, a, in an eternal state of joy. Okay, I'll be the only one dancing on the streets of God. <laughs> My goodness. The promise is that our sorrow will be turned to joy. His, he, God sovereignly and providentially controls every event in our lives and it all, every, here's the promise. No matter what you're going through, even if you caused it, even if it was sin, but as a believer, God causes all things to work together for the good. 
That is a wonderful, wonderful promise. You may have to suffer for a little while. Huh? You may have to, to look beyond the pain. You will have to ha have to look at your life through the lenses of the gospel. I wish I had some time to, to camp out there. And, and, but and if you do, you will see that in a little while, your sorrow, no matter what it is, will turn into joy. That's a guarantee. God will convert the very source of your pain. He will use it. He will transform the source of your suffering. Instead of being a source of sorrow, it will become a source of joy. What a promise. The Bible has convinced me that God wants us to experience a life of joy. I mean, from Genesis to Revelation. Listen, and because of the gospel, I believe that for believers, all of our sorrow, all of it will be transformed into joy. Joy is a promise of the gospel. It is the result of being gospel children. Joy is a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. You thought I was about to get deep and theological on you, didn't you? I mean, I, I struggle with all kinds of definitions on joy. But joy is a, it, it is a feeling it is, a, it is a pleasurable experience. It may manifest itself in different ways. I may not always walk around like, <laughs> you know? I mean, but joy in my heart because of who I am and who I belong to, nothing can disturb that joy. And so sometimes, I'm getting way ahead, so I'm going to probably say this again, but, but sometimes, I may have to fight through whatever it is that I'm going through. How do I fight? I fight on my knees. I fight in my word. I fight with my brother, linking up with my brother, my sister in Christ. I fight when I come to church and I, and I don't want to lift my hands in worship. And yet I'm reading the words and the words are biblical and theological. The words minister to me. So regardless of how I feel, I'm going to lift, lift my hand and I'm going to worship. I'm going to fight through until I experience the pleasure of being in the presence of God. No. Oh. This is no vain or empty promise. In a little while is a guarantee. The gospel is the proof. It is the evidence. It is the conviction that all Christian suffering is only for a little while. Jesus said that he must suffer and die. But he promised that in a little while after three days, he would rise from the dead. And he kept his promise. The promise of joy is made a guarantee by the resurrection. I can look to the resurrection. If I ever doubt, oh, God, this, this one, you can't handle this one. Tell me I'm not the only one that has gone through something and I'm thinking, oh, or, or maybe I was a knucklehead and I even caused it, you know. And so I'm thinking, oh, God, you, you cannot handle this one. And I'm thinking, oh. I might as well just wallow in grief. I might as well just stay right here. This is my lot. Woe is me. Oh, oh, no. No, I can look to the resurrection. 
The fact that he promised that he would come again, that they would see him again, and then he rose from the dead on that third day tells me that right now, even though I'm going through a time period where I'm absent from him, but again, I'm looking forward to the day when he's going to break through the clouds. I'm looking for the day when, when this mortal will put on immortality. I'm looking forward to the day when I'm going to be changed and I'm going to be caught up and never, ever to be separated from him again. And sometimes I got to remember that. I got to remind myself that life is real. Your problems are real. Your struggle is real. Your pain is real. Your grief is real. All of the stuff we experience in this life is real. But there is a joy that is greater, that supersedes any grief that I could ever experience in this natural life. That is the joy of being a child of God. Oh, I have no clue where I'm at again. <laughs> Eternity. Somebody might be saying, Pastor Kehi or Kenny, I know, I got a transition. <laughs> Kenny! <laughs> Man, they, Jesus said he, they would see him again, but it only took three days. Man, oh, I've been waiting 2,000, you that old? I've been waiting 2,000 years, and he's not coming. I've been going through this thing for a long, you have no clue how long I've been dealing with this. It's taking too long. Can, can I challenge you that your measuring stick is too short? Can I challenge you that if you know Jesus Christ, you already have eternal life, and that your measuring stick is not your life here on earth? but that your measuring, measuring stick is eternity. So can you imagine if you had to suffer for 100 years on the scale of eternity, it, is, it won't even register in a little while. Oh, three months in a little while. Ten years in a little while. Sometimes you better preach to yourself. You know, tell yourself in a little while. That's why Paul could write in Romans 8.18, I don't know my time. Somebody give me, don't tell me that. You know better. You know better. You just tell me, okay, you know better. Romans 8.18, that's why Paul could say, for I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. That comparison. And in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, he says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Wow. Jesus uses the illustration of childbirth. He says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. I, I have no idea what that pain feels like. Thank God. But I've witnessed it up close and personal. <laughs> I know it well enough to know that I never want to have a baby. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, mommy. 
If men were forced to experience the pain of childbirth, there would be never any concern for overpopulation. <laughs> it just wouldn't happen. That pain is real. And you better believe that every mother can remember the pain. The reference that she no longer remembers the anguish is proof that a man wrote the gospel. <laughs> but he's not seeking or speaking literally about forgetting the pain. But listen, I don't know of any mother who sits around talking about the pain after they give birth. Oh, yeah, they may discuss it. They may briefly laugh about it, mostly in joking about how they acted or, you know, all this. I'm about to get in trouble, but, you know. <laughs> but the joy of that newborn baby is so great that the feeling of pain eclipses, the. I mean, the, the, the feeling of joy eclipses the feeling of pain. Wow. Just like that Olympian uh, uh, athlete, the very source of a mother's pain, that little big headed baby <laughs> becomes the source of her joy. Listen, at times we will suffer. We'll feel sad. We'll be depressed. The pain can be intense, but we must allow it to drive us into the arms of Jesus and deepen our intimacy with him. And the joy of being with Jesus, the joy of being embraced by the Father, the joy of being indwelt by the Holy Spirit will change our sorrow to joy. God has promised us joy. And this promise is a guarantee by the resurrection. Sometimes, as I said, you have to fight for it. I'll skip all that because I, I said all this already. Now I got to figure out where I'm at. The resurrection doesn't do away with the cross or with the sorrow of the cross or the pain of the cross. It all remains, it was a reality. But the resurrection transforms the sorrow of the cross, the death of the cross into joy. Listen, if Jesus had not risen from the dead, the cross would remain the worst instrument of death. We would look back, we would look back to it with great sorrow. After 2,000 years, we would still have a reason to weep and lament. But because of the resurrection, we now have proof that Jesus is the Son of God. We have proof that God has accepted his perfect sacrifice on our behalf. We have proof that the cross has reconciled us to God, and now we can look back on that instrument of death, that very cause, that very source of pain, and God has transformed it into a source of joy. I never look at a Christian wearing a cross and think, oh, the pain. I don't. I think, oh, my salvation. Oh, the love. Oh, the joy. Thank God. The cross, can you imagine? They would have never thought that in Jesus' day. Our sorrow, by his grace, You've been listening to the weekly podcast of the Menifee Campus of Covenant Grace Church. If you'd like to know more about Covenant Grace Church, visit us online at covgrace.org.